Well, hey, folks, happy Sunday. Happy Stone Chiseler Sunday. Today is chapter four of the book. Now, how many times have you ever been told you can't do that? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have the talent. And you found yourself believing it. You find yourself getting in agreement with outside forces telling you that you are lesser than. Well, Giovanni Cristiani has been cast into the stone yards as a lowly chiseler with no hope of a greater life. But even in these worst of circumstances, he has the opportunity to define for himself the type of man that he wants to sculpt himself into. I hope as you listen to this story, you will see a bit of yourself and see how outside forces are always combating with who we know we truly are. And you have the, the opportunity to decide through your attitude, through your mind, will you let the prevailing forces of outside influences that are always going to throw negative identities on you, are you going to listen to them or are you going to determine to sculpt yourself into the person that you know you are capable of? I hope you will do that as you listen to The Stone Chiseler. And with that, here is Chapter 4 of the Stone Chiseler. Thanks for listening. Chapter 4 Nothing But Another day passed, and the old man could not bring himself to leave the village. He was there to perform a commission for the Medici family. They had for many years supported the artist's work. As such, they had become used to his strange and often delayed schedule. The reason for his tardiness this time rests in his fascination with the young Stone Chiseler. About midday, the old man made his way to the stone yard and approached the boy. At once, a suspicious overseer came up to the old man. "'What are you doing here?' the overseer asked. "'I've watched you as you've interfered with my chiseler's work for several days now.' With that, the overseer approached the boy. He stood almost touching him. The boy could feel the vapor of heat radiating off the man. "'No one interrupts the work of my chiseler's, especially this one.' He's the son of a lowly swine bread thief. He should be chiseling twice that of his fellow chiselers. He continued, looking the old man up and down. Don't interrupt the work being done here, old man. Is it work, sir? Why, what work do you speak of? This boy is doing nothing more than pounding into a stone. Work, by its very nature, is something with at least some utility to it. I can see no utility in the task you've given this young man. <laughs> well, old man, it's not for you to decide what is and is not work in my yard. Looking back at the boy, he said, The work being done here is rehabilitation. This young scrub before you is a thief. He's a lowly, rotten son of a pig thief, and he must be reformed. With rock, chisel, and stone, he will endeavor to chisel the thief right out of his heart. At least... This is the fanciful wish of the soft royal court. As for me, I say Beelzebub. Surveying the entire yard and waving his hand, he exclaimed, He and all these other scrubs are nothing more than low-life stone chiselers. The boy overheard the entire conversation, grimaced, and increased the power with which he swung his hammer. He could not stand the overseer. He was a cruel beast of a man who seemed to have a particular disdain for the boy from the moment of his arrival. Each prisoner upon entering the stone yard facility is told he is now a chiseler. Whoever and whatever they were before entering its gates need be forgotten. 
They had now assumed the identity of the chiseler. With that, they marched together to a holding cell. It was here the boy met the yardmaster for the first time. He came to the boy and gritted his teeth and said, Well, well, we have a pretty one here, don't we? The boy was, in fact, handsome like his father. He had a full head of hair, bronzed skin, and a taut physique. He stood a full inch taller than the yardmaster. The yardmaster was known to possess a raging jealousy of anyone taller than him, which was almost everyone. As was the case with all the men, he shaved the boy's head. He then shaved off whatever hair remained on the boy's body. This was not a matter of hygiene. It was meant to further reiterate the stripping of all that the prisoners were before they entered the stone yard. They were literally stripped down to nothing. Not even their names remained. You will no longer be called by your Christian name. You will be identified by either the stone chiseler or the crime for which you have been sent here. Each one of you is nothing more than a stone chiseler. Nothing but a stone chiseler is all I am. It's all I will ever be, the boy said to himself. I will never let myself believe otherwise. This identity didn't readily stick with the boy internally. It was as if he was being called a horse or a rake. He was a farmer, and he knew it. He was his father's son. I am Giovanni Cristiani, he thought to himself. I am my father's son. He was taken aback the first time he was able to interact with his prison mates. In an effort to make conversation, he would say, So tell me, what were you before you entered the stone yards? The reply was always the same. I am a stone chiseler. If the boy pressed further, the inmate in question would only become frustrated. They had accepted their fate and would not even acknowledge another identity. Life in the stone yards had chiseled out of them any former identity. One prisoner in particular told the boy, Not only am I a stone chiseler, but you are as well, young fellow. The sooner you realize this, the better off you will be. To believe otherwise will only frustrate your mind and soul. You are a stone chiseler. You are nothing but the stone chiseler. The mind believes whatever you tell it. Therefore, you might as well tell it the truth. After about a year of sunsets, the boy's identity began to change. There were no legal proceedings. There was no declaration made. There was no record of the exact date. But something had happened. The boy had accepted himself as a stone chiseler. The old man addressed the yardmaster. It was all he could do to show minimal respect for the man. He was so disgusted with his appearance as he was his demeanor. However, to execute his now-forming plan to interact regularly with the boy, he mustered up the appearance of respect for the beast. Sir, please forgive me. I know the leadership you provide these wretches is most important. Why, I'd say, apart from whatever god these men worship to, there is no other deity in their lives save for you. I hate to insult you with such a trivial matter, but I am here on official business with the Medici family. In fact, I am surprised a man of your stature isn't regularly briefed on such matters. I am sure this was an oversight of the town officials. Aye, a bunch of fancy power-grabbers, the whole lot of them, the yardmaster replied. Indeed, 
the old man responded, realizing he might have cracked the nut. If you would be so kind as to allow me to spend time with this young man, I can assure you the family will find it most beneficial to my work. Ha! You expect me to believe you were in the direct employ of the Medici? You were as crazy as that brightly colored cloak and dainty hat would suggest you are, old man. Oh, dear, the man replied. Again, they really should include you in such matters, given your high standing in the city. With that, the old man presented the overseer with a piece of paper bearing the Medici coat of arms and official declaration of the old man's commission to perform. The yardmaster cut his eyes at the boy and sniffed, then looked back at the man. Fine, old man. Your time is yours to waste. But never forget, this son of a pig-bred thief's time is mine to waste. Should I decide you've wasted enough of it in my stead, I shall rectify the matter at once. Is this understood? Certainly, sir. I understand completely. He then walked up to the boy. As for you, scrum, nothing changes. Just because this old man has taken some sort of oddly placed interest in you, doesn't mean you aren't still nothing more than a stone chiseler. Watching the guard waddle away, the old man pursed his lips and looked back at the boy. His face softened at once. Oh, young man, I don't mean to impose upon you. I really do not. However, I wonder if I might learn more about you. You see, I do, in fact, believe you can be helpful to me. I know it's a lot to ask, but I can't help but think it would be a welcome distraction from your chiseling. Would you mind speaking to me? The boy gave a slight shrug of his shoulder and said, It is not up for me to decide, sir. I'm but a stone chiseler. The yardmaster, though disgusting he may be, is correct in this regard. However, if you wish to direct your questions to me, that is up to you. Well, I do have one question that seems to be burning a hole in my mind. You don't strike me as a criminal. Your speech is better than most who find themselves lost in a life of crime. Also, the yardmaster called you a son of a criminal. The boy looked at the old man with fury. That, sir, I assure you, is where the fat, slothful slob gets his facts most notably incorrect. My father was a man of honor, if ever such a man lived. He then returned his gaze to the stone, his face red and scowling. His eyes cut toward the old man. The fury being held inside the boy almost stunned the man. The old man said, I'm so sorry, young man. It is not my intention to bring you any more grief or anger than you have already endured. Please forgive me. The boy breathed a deep sigh and lowered his head, closed his eyes. It was as if he was releasing the built pressure filling his entire body. The boy then opened his eyes and looked into the face of the stone before him. My father was a farmer. My mother released her soul to God upon my birth. My father explained to me that God needed her for her beauty and majesty in heaven. He cut his eyes toward the old man. The man gave a look as if to show what the boy had said made perfect sense. My father spoke of her almost daily. While I grew up without her, I feel as though I know everything about her. 
It's as though if she walked upon the stone yard, I would at once recognize her. I would know her voice, her smell, her touch. I am certain she was the most beautiful woman to have ever lived, though I have never seen her. He stopped for a moment and looked up at the sun. My father and I farmed our small fields together. He taught me all there is to know about the earth and how to cause her to produce. However, a time came when the gods decided, as a means of test or cruelty, to withhold the rains. No water fell upon our grounds for many days. There were no crops to be sold or gathered. Nonetheless, we were made to meet our civic tax quota. One day, my father and I went to the village. He had a meeting with a gentleman there who was hard of hearing, so I stayed behind. When the baker tossed out a bag of stale loaves for the swine farmers, my father picked up the bag. He was accused of stealing the bread, though I know my father would never perform such a dishonest act. He was a man of the most noble character. The old man tilted his head slightly and looked as deeply into the boy's eyes as he could. Thoughts of his own childhood raced through his mind. Thoughts of his own father presented themselves without invitation. The boy's admiration for his father was a far cry from that of the old man for his. While his natural instinct was to feel envious, he did not. Instead, he felt joy that the young man robbed of his youth chained to a stone had such memories of a father he loved dearly. The boy continued, They seized my father for robbery. When it came upon him, his heart burst. Then he died. The old man looked down and shook his head slowly. He had no idea what to say or how to say it. He was generally very quick with his tongue no matter what the situation. In this instance, he found his tongue, along with his mind, tied in knots. Finally, he replied, I see, and because your father was unable to serve his sentence, it fell upon his next and most prominent of kin to serve as a tribute, that being you. The boy didn't reply. He just went on chiseling. Young man, I cannot cure your pain nor offer you anything other than words. However, I think they are words that may fall on fertile soil. So if you don't mind, I will plant them. Seeing the boy wasn't going to protest, he continued. The Stoic philosopher, Stoic Seneca, was a most peculiar man. Though he enjoyed wealth and privilege, he made sure not to be trapped by either. He worked often to remind himself of that which was necessary, as well as that which was not. He valued freedom of the mind more than freedom of the body. In letters to a protege, he once wrote the following, Show me a man who isn't a slave. One is a slave to sex, another to money, another to ambition. All are slaves to hope or fear. I could show you a man who has been a consul, who was a slave to his little old woman, a millionaire, who is the slave of a little girl in domestic service. I could show you some highly aristocratic young men, who are utter slaves to stage artists. And there's two state of slavery more disgraceful than one which is self-imposed. Do not let yourself be imprisoned by your own mind. I dare say, the boulder before you, though once laid idle, 
might very well want someone to make use of it. I should say that someone most definitely may be you. He then turned and walked away, while the boy resumed his chiseling.